Just short, you know, 20, yeah. 30 second snippets of different VHS. And I just don't think there would be an audience for me there. I think I'm far too old and I'm look and I've got a base audience that is too old for that platform. You say that, but like everybody looks at TikTok and then especially with now fucking Instagram just adding TikTok to it like it's like built in there now like the reels all over facebook as well they're trying to shove reels into everything and i I don't want to see people dance and that's what seems to be what it all digresses to the problem is is that that's all you see and then it starts showing shit it's it's a lot of uh just really hot girls just staring in their phones while wearing yeah so the the one day i had a tiktok account i tried to look up vintage tv thinking that that would be a good route to go yeah. I accidentally typed vintage RV, so I was a little confused why we kept seeing all these motorhomes in Winnebago's, but it still eventually just digressed to women dancing in Winnebago's. And I, I, again, not not what I'm in the market for. I'm, I'm much more looking for, you know, 1970s waterbed commercials. Yeah, 19s. Oh, that's funny. Uh, that's true. Yeah. Um, careful. Oh, there I go. Yeah. Let me unfold my legs. Oh, so uh, welcome to my home. Thank you. Thank you for having me over here. Yeah. Yeah. Thank thank you for having me on your show over here. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I appreciate it. I, uh, I recently had to move in with my uh, brother who has three kids and a wife and uh, uh, it's a lot. And it's not really great recording area anymore, you know, where I live. So, well, you know, honestly, I think I've recorded more podcasts in my own home as a yeah. guest than I have outside <laughs> of my home. And the pandemic has a little bit to do with that. We, we actually, I think I've recorded four podcasts in my backyard. Like uh, Sean O'Neill came over, Avalon Leonetti, a few, a yeah. few folks. Um, that, that is one of the benefits I think of having had the uh, pandemic and lockdown Yeah, people are much more willing to travel and visit you to make things happen. And as a homebody, that works great for me. That's fair. You might want to move the, (laughs) come in a little tighter. There there. we go. There. Now I can hear you. I'll just rest that on my chin where, you know, things normally rest. Yeah, exactly. There we go. That's better. All right. <laughs> um, do we have a official intro or anything we want? To yeah. Jump into? Um, so yeah, just thanks for everybody for listening today. Uh, this is Obsessive Comic Disorder. As always, I am Gene DeWeber. Today I have uh, Michael Garcia on as my guest. And uh, thank you so much for having me on, Gene. Thanks uh, for coming on. Of course, we've been trying to put this together for how many months now? It's been a while. Yeah. <laughs> and, and weirdly, we, I still only finished the comic book uh, ten to fifteen minutes ago. I finished it this morning. Well, I don't like to finish something. I always like to at least leave somewhere uh, around an issue or a few or like fifty pages or whatever you know before I record the episode because I want to have it fresh in my mind. If I finish something, because I think that originally we were supposed to record this in January and now it's March. 
Yeah, that sounds right. So <laughs> it just shit happens, you know. Well, I, I like to try to replicate the time frame it takes to write a comic book before I talk about it. So I think we okay. got another 29 years to work oh, on. Well, this was 35 years. Oh, fuck. Okay. So we have like 34 and a half right now that we. Yeah, yeah. I won't live that long. Um, <laughs> uh, so you, you would, I guess, be the obsessive comic then, or the comic obsessed with comics? Uh, yes. Yes. Yeah. So, I have an obsessive comic disorder. Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> it's, it's fun because it's a little, it's a, it's, it has, it's, it's multi-layered. Like this story in the comic that we read um, Monsters by Barry Windsor Smith. Now, I, I was only vaguely familiar with the comic when you mentioned it to me and, mm. and the name, because I, I think I had heard about like the time frame it had taken to create. Yeah. And in a, in a weird way, it kind of reminds me of a documentary, not to go on, uh, too far off base here. That's fine. But there was this uh, film called Tales of the Unreal that came out about 10, 12 years ago. And it Interesting. Was, okay. It, it was about a janitor who uh, worked in a high school in New York, if I remember correctly. And he, he, everyone had thought he had some kind of mental disability, but it sounds like he just wasn't, he was just having some, like, uh, maybe he, <laughs> oh boy. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's going to happen a lot. Let me yeah, try talking to with your this. hands. Let's see. Oh God. I'm a gesticulator. Maybe yeah. if I go the other way, I'm left. Yeah. Let's see. Uh, yeah, it's kind of hard when. Yeah, there. That's 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 the might work. I'm just gonna pretend I got someone sitting next to me. There you so, go. Uh, where was I going with this? You, yes. you will want the mic closer to your face, though. Motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. It's a it's a pain in the ass. All right. If I just work the shaft. <laughs> so, tales of the unreal. Yeah. It, yeah. So. Um, this janitor who had some, he, he potentially was autistic or neurodivergent in some uh, manner, okay. um, had, had grown up in, if I remember correctly, an orphanage and just had never learned to socialize effectively. Yeah. So people were unaware of this vivid imagination that he, um, uh, that he, uh, had and while he worked at the school for something like 20 30 years oh shit he was writing it was like a 15,000 page book that he was illustrating himself holy fuck and it was about this uh world or this country that was populated by like uh, it, it gets a little it, it feels like he didn't understand a lot of things and maybe yeah. didn't know what was going on politically because it seems like this country that is the heroes in his story are all blonde so that's a little oh. problematic <laughs> but um they're mostly women but he doesn't seem to understand physiology he maybe never saw a naked woman in his life or had never okay. uh, gone to school uh, long enough to learn about biology probably didn't but, have access to porn maybe yeah even. well he was right drawn his own in these books and, oh, okay. and there was male genitalia across every single character because it's what he was familiar with is what's kind of surmised okay and 
the story just continued to grow and grow and the world building expands and this one country is fighting off all these other countries and the story builds and now they're saving the children of the world and he creates himself as a proxy in the story. So he's yeah. a hero in his books or in, in this one very long book. And no one was familiar with it until after he died. And then they found this giant tome and they actually recreated his room as a traveling museum. And it would travel America to different museums. They'd set it up in different rooms as a display. And you could come in and read uh, portions of the book. And there's a animated hmm. documentary about it that is uh, something I think any of the listeners might want to check into because it is yeah. haunting and beautiful. But the parallels of watching this story unfold and how like maybe world events start influencing it on a subtle level reminded yeah. me of this because this monsters book, uh, I feel like so many movies and, and, uh, stories that are contemporary now have been influenced yeah. by it. Yeah. But as I read it, I see it being influenced by <laughs> things that have come out in the time frame since it had begun. Cause this book starts out almost as a standard, um, you know, the incredible Hulk sort of story. So you, it's interesting you say that because this was actually written back originally as a 24 page incredible Hulk storyline. Oh, no shit. Like from like 1984, 1985, something like that. Makes so it was supposed sense. to be supposed to be originally released as that never ended up happening. And then over the last 35 years, I think he's just sort of like, he's probably had it in the back burner as that thing. He just kind of adds a little bit to, I'm not sure when he started illustrating. The art is very consistent, so I would assume that it was done. The art itself was probably done over maybe a year or two. But. Okay, so you think he wrote the story, and then after the story was done being written in just the last few years, he put out the panels? I think so, because this was that released as sense. a standalone graphic novel. It was done through uh, Fanographics, which are well-known for not as much having like individual issues sometimes albums um black holes a good example one that was released in like nine parts originally well i'm a little bit poppy today <laughs> i'm gonna take a big swig real fast do it and for those of you uh listeners who are unfamiliar we have these articulated spring-loaded arms with our microphones yes so if you hear a strumming noise or a weird ding, that is 100% me. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, I've gotten better at not doing it. Like I, I've learned to, you can't see it. He can, uh, Michael can see this, but I'm kind of like waving my arms around. He, he looks like he's landing not, a yeah. uh, plane on an <laughs> aircraft carrier. <laughs> <laughs> Whereas I am just clasping my hands as tightly as well, I can to not touch any. You've got the mistake you're making is you have your hands underneath where I've got mine to the sides. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Like, yeah. Get that, uh, that posture. Like you're kind of like, you've already got like a 1970s, very reminiscent 1970s. Like, yeah. Like establish that posture. He's got the posture now of like someone who just brought a girl over and, you know, he's kind of, kind of talking to her a little bit, you know, loosen up. Getting getting the night going, you know. Well, you know, my my place uh, is more lounge than it is apartment, mm. 
And uh, as you can see, we have some nice atmospheric mood lighting going. I was preparing for your visit. Yeah. I don't get a lot of company. Yeah. Giving you some mood eyes. (laughs) I'm feeling feeling like like, like I I don't even have the word. You know, I'm I'm speechless right now. Yeah. I... uh, if there is one thing, you yeah. never are, Gene. It's speechless. That's true. That's true. Um, so, uh, again, as long as we're describing things for, for our home audience, uh, to, to help finish setting the scene, not, not only am I in a 70s sitting position, yeah. we are in my 70s basement yes. uh, lounge, as I said. Yeah. All of which, if you look up over your uh, right shoulder on the wall over there, is the art piece that I've based this entire apartment off of. That is the um, nude, that is a representation of the nude painting that hangs over Red's bed in The Shining. Nice. So I I had a friend uh, paint that for me, and I based everything in this apartment. That that was the inspiration piece. So all the colors come from that. Mm -hmm. Everything circles and ties back. You're talking about the naked lady. Yeah. Yeah. So those of you who are nice. Shining fans would, yeah. would have been familiar with what I was referencing. And those of you who aren't <laughs> probably just think I'm a gross 70s creep. And you'd all be right. Yeah. A little bit of a, a little of everything, you know. Yeah. Call yeah. me Envy. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so we, we've digressed uh, pretty far here. But circling back, there, there are so many different pop culture routes that go back to this book yes yeah um, what are some like examples you would say well okay so we did start with uh of course that there was the obvious incredible hulk connection yeah and without a doubt the title monsters really gets into the classic irony that it is mm-hmm. truly we the humans that are the monsters i mean yeah. this circles back to king kong that sort of thing mm-hmm. and um this book not only does it, it touches on that, which is kind of a classical trope. It touches on the Incredible Hulk. I think that if you were to um, watch the new Watchmen on HBO, yeah, I felt that yeah. that was. It, it surprised me so much to find out that this was just released in 2021. The mm-hmm. book. Because that means that that Watchmen piece had to have already been in production prior to that. Yeah, it's it's, it's weird how much it parallels. There, well, there's parallel thing can happen a lot, and like well, a great I, example, uh, another documentary, Yordarovsky's uh, Dune. Do you okay, know anything about that? Yeah, yeah, I saw that. So there's that, and there's the whole. Alejandro Jodorowsky worked with uh, the French artist Mobius. Yeah. Or John Gerard, if you uh, want to say his actual name, um, on this um, huge, what was it, like 500 page storyboard slash script. And part of a lot of things that were in that storyboard have been used in popular culture by people who have never seen the storyboard. Oh, right. So so they're not even aware that that's where it's originally sourced. Yeah. From. It's sort of like it kind of goes out. Things just sort of go out into the ether without us even realizing that they're going to be sort of influencing each other. So there's like this like metaphysical, spiritual, creative energy that's sort of passing through at all times, which I, I honestly, having done psychedelics and things like that, like... I'm open to the idea of that being a very real thing. 
Okay. And I, I mean, beyond that, I just think we all, this book's also a perfect example of uh, history repeating itself. Yeah. Um, Cause the, and, and this book, uh, if he began writing in 84, 85, yeah. that, that is the beginning of my teen years. I just turned yeah, 50 yeah. this last year. And I, I was a little skate punk, then kind of new wave gothy kid through those years, <laughs> which meant I got my ass kicked by skinheads on a regular basis. Yeah. And there, yeah. there was this undercurrent of Nazism in America mm-hmm. during the 80s that was very open, that you could see, that you could see on the streets, that you could mm-hmm. hear people talking about in schools. You know, it, it, there was a subculture that flaunted it and i feel like we found ourselves in a place where that's reoccurring right now yeah well this this story has a lot to do with the things like how after world war ii the american government sort of um acclimated a lot of nazi scientists to do to continue studies they had started in the nazi regime and sort of like pick up instead of just like dropping all these things. So these really horrible crimes against humanity that had occurred beforehand, they're like, Hey, it's already been done. We might as well like bring it over here and use that information. But then they continued to do those studies <laughs> within the, uh, <laughs> under the American government. Yeah. I guess maybe, uh, we should probably break down exactly what the story really is. So, yeah. So people know, um, what we're referencing. Uh, basically, it is a epic about Nazi experimentation during the war and mm. a uh, how it gets the science gets brought back to the U.S. and a um, army volunteer gets experimented on, mm-hmm. basically turned into a Hulk-like super soldier. Yep, and then. All of this history that encircles the um, science that led to this kind of comes back. The, the whole story yeah. is a multi, it, it's, it's all a time shifting, almost a Tarantino like time shift yeah. story that ties all of these different strings of storyline that are occurring in different timeline eras. Mm-hmm. <laughs> together at the it. end is a bow in the, in the <laughs> final few pages. And that's where it goes from being simply a monster parable. Yeah. I mean, at that point, it kind of turns into, um, oh, shoot. What is that? Shamalama Lama movie. Uh, I see dead people. Um, <laughs> the Sixth Sense. The Sixth Sense. It turns into The Sixth Sense. It's got that. It's, it makes me think you were talking about The Shining. There's a little bit of The Shining in there a little bit with the psychics. You know, not only is it reminiscent of The Psychics and The Shining, Mm-hmm. It is reminiscent of the psychics in the new Shining sequel. The Mr. Sleep. Yeah, yeah Dr. Sleep. Dr. Sleep, that's yes. right. Dr. Sleep. Which I'm not a big fan of the director. It's the guy who did the House on Haunted Hill miniseries. Mm-hmm. Uh, I liked uh, his new, Flanagan, I, I like his new one. The uh, the one with the vampires, Midnight oh, Mass. Boy. I am not on the same page with you. That's I did watch fine. the whole thing. That's fine. Oh, yeah. I mean, every, you know, what works for you doesn't necessarily work for everyone else. Yeah. It uh, it made sense because he is the most Stephen King of directors, and <laughs> yeah. although it wasn't Salem's Lot, it sure as hell was a lot of Salem's Lot. Yeah, it definitely seems like Mike Flanagan is just well. He's mostly done 
Stephen King adaptations. So him making something on his own that's very reminiscent of Stephen King is kind of expected almost. Yeah, in his first movie, uh, it was um, Absentia. Okay. And it is a very Lovecraftian movie. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, everything I've seen of his, I mean, that movie feels very Lovecraft, and and I liked it a lot. I actually revisited it recently, and you only kind of get hints of where his directing style is going to go, because it's very spare and indie. He was on a budget, so you don't get the lush sets like you used to, or all the CG. He's a very CG guy, and that's one of my problems, too. Yeah, for sure. But all that to be said, uh, Dr. Sleep was fantastic. I think it's, it's really the scariest good. X-Men movie I've ever seen. <laughs> Have you watched the director's cut? Uh, yeah. The director's cut the, the one. You got, you got to watch the director's cut. It's, it doesn't make sense if you watch the other one. Yeah, I think I started with director's cut, and then I turned someone else onto it and watched the regular cut. Yeah. And I was like, I'm so sorry. I, this isn't the movie I wanted to show you. Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 weird how the half hour makes a huge difference. Well, you know, um, from that boy, what was the movie I just saw this week that I thought that that it needed more time? Um, the Night House with Rebecca Hall. I haven't seen that one. All right, so I'm a big horror nerd. That's yeah. I, I mean, I to be honest, I, I am a kind of cult film. Uh, good bad film nerd more than anything yeah, else um, i get that you know I, I host a couple of movie riffing shows and clip shows where we break down bad scenes from old movies <laughs> or obscure clips and a lot of old 70s commercials and such so yeah. that's what i you know that's what i'm drawn to and and uh uh but in general my genre would be horror and i just saw okay. rebecca hall's uh new horror film it's kind of a elevated art house thing and it it's, falls in that standard 90 to 100 minute time frame. And it hit so many neat ideas. I just wish they had given yeah. another hour to expand on it and build that That'll world. Happen. Yeah. And, and I think uh, that that was the case with Dr. Sleep. It needed that space. You, it needed to, to, needed to open breathe. things up. Exactly. You, yeah. you needed to, the, the characters needed to live so you could believe them. Yes. Yeah. And. Yeah, that is definitely... I haven't seen Gerald's game, so I don't know if that one is as good. Um, Man, that's even more Stephen King than the other Stephen King shit he does. Yeah. That one really upset me. There, there, yeah. there is a final like sentence she says to the villain that just... <laughs> ugh. I don't know. I mean, it feels like a pandering movie to me. Like he that's had an fair. audience in mind. I'm not that audience. Like so he, it didn't play to me. he he bowed down to the creative cock of Stephen King, basically, and just opened up. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> that imagery was yeah, too much. Man. <laughs> you see, you, you see what a long face he has. I mean, I mean, yeah. Just imagine the, the, the droopy dog of his penis. <laughs> it's it's circumcised, but somehow still looks uncircumcised. <laughs> well, well you know, aging and sagging with age is a natural process. As a 50-year-old, I can... Well, anyway... <laughs> 
All I'm saying is at a certain point you, you, you can feel the toilet water. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> That's fair. Uh, getting back to monsters, though. <laughs> well, that was my monster. But, um, yeah, so to uh, get back to monsters, uh, he begins writing this in 84, 85. Yeah. Uh, wraps up and releases just last year just last year yeah i could see the pandemic even being that thing where he just finally had the time well that's probably when he did the art that's probably yeah now what's his background as an artist because this it is black and white looks like it's all just like i'm presuming he's penciling and inking it himself oh yeah it's all it's all him it's all him so uh probably the most famous one is the weapon x miniseries um, that was done under Marvel Comics Presents uh, that finally showed like how Wolverine, what he went through in the Weapon X facility. Um, what, what year did this come out? The uh, what the Weapon, the Weapon X? X that you're referencing? I want to say it's like 91, maybe okay. 92. So I should say, yeah, I am a comic book book fan, but I yeah. was a cl- an active collector from about. 1980 through 86, 87. Okay. And and after about that point, it then would be um, either the big um, comic lines that my friends continued to collect or things that made the crossover to film. And I would go back to be like, I feel like this is hitting some beats (laughs) that I want to know more about. So I would look into it or series like that. Like, after I enjoyed the first season and then to a much lesser extent, the second season of that preacher show, yeah. I had to read the comic. I was like, I got to see fair. what the real deal is. Yeah. Cause I, I get a hint of what this is trying to say and is mm-hmm. um, subversive and dirty as it wants to be. Yeah. But the, you know, there's no way a cable then, show is going to equate to what the, comic and, the and then you watch the boys and you find out that's a way better adaptation than preacher as far as that goes. <laughs> yeah, but again, I'm yeah. I'm it's kind still of a single season yeah. guy. I have a hard okay. time going back. You give me a gap in, mm-hmm. in any storyline, and it's hard for me to reconnect. I need to kind That's of fair. go through. So you like uh, miniseries? Yeah, I do. It, it, and not only do I prefer a miniseries for bingeability, yeah. I think as a writer, and, and particularly a writer who has an issue with... I, you know, I love my language. I love to hear myself talk and I am not succinct. I have to go back and <laughs> cut down everything I write repeatedly. Yeah. I self edit and then I ask other people to take a look to help me edit beyond that. That's fair. And, um, the, uh, I think that's the case with almost all writers. And if you are writing a series that does not have a, um, a storyboarded arc that, that yeah. perfectly ends your story you are going to find fodder and filler here and there for lack of inspiration or just to kind of push things along the one exception and i would highly recommend watching this it's also only lasted three seasons and that was the intention is um legion which was on fx i have not watched the third season yet but i'm glad you brought up legion yeah because that uh actually connects with the um graphic novels i had originally suggested we talk about because they were so big to me as a kid um straight toasters by bill sienkiewicz and Mm -hmm. legion is a bill sienkiewicz property 
he was the artist that okay. was tied into the um, character when he was introduced in the New Mutants. In <laughs> David the, Holler, uh, yeah. yeah. And uh, all that crazy psychedelic art of the mm-hmm. 80s New Mutants, which um, actually the, that terrible new New Mutants movie, or yeah. that terrible New Mutants movie, I shouldn't say yeah. new, <laughs> uh, that came out about a year ago. And the bummer is there's, there's moments where I can see where yeah. it's touching. But the inspiration of that story was the demon bear of the Bill Sienkiewicz New Mutants line, which mm-hmm. shook me up as a kid. It was horrifying, and it broke such a different ground artistically. Mm-hmm. You know, he was introducing mixed media into regular um, uh, magazine comics when you were only yeah. seeing that kind of stuff in like the most esoteric graphic novels. Mm-hmm. He really brought a different form of art to the masses. I think Sienkiewicz started with Moon Knight, if I remember correctly. Okay. Then New Mutants is where he really blew up. And after that, he kind of shifted to doing uh, miniseries. He mm-hmm. did, uh, you know, he was involved with Daredevil a lot. He did this fantastic, um, uh, Electra Assassin series with Frank Miller, if I remember correctly. Or, yes. Yeah. Yes. And um, two different mini series with them actually for Electra. There's a couple. Oh really? Yeah. There's like two or three. Yuck. Yeah. I still have some of the 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 one where the devil comes back and smells like rotten mayo. Okay. I I ha- I. That's those are on my list of like. I, there's a lot of these classic mini series and classic series that I I know enough. Uh, I know I have a pretentious knowledge of them, but I don't have like a full on, like I've read these and that's what I'm going through. Like I just recently read, we were talking about the weapon X. I just recently read that for the first time because I bought a omnibus. I bought two omnibuses actually of Wolverine, which they're crew. They're um, collecting the very specifically important story arcs to Wolverine. So it's mostly the Wolverine series, but it's like the mini series. There's, a few issues of X-Men just because they're ones that are very important to the story arc of Wolverine that are in there. So they're basically, they, they want to give you everything that might ever be referenced in a future Wolverine movie. I would say more in comics because okay. these are, these are omnibus. They, when they're collecting the omnibuses, a lot of times they don't care. They're, they're for the, they're for the comic fans. They're not for the movie fans. Well, I, I was just uh, thinking that it would be an easy reference guide for those who uh, are trying to go back and, and, and figure out where things come from. When, yes. When, you, yes. when you're kind of filling in those gaps. Well, for example, um, the original Claremont Frank Miller miniseries for Wolverine was a pretty big inspiration for the second Wolverine movie, The Wolverine. Right. Um all but the terrible ending because that movie was like two two thirds of a really good movie I, i'm on board with you the third act sucks ass but up yeah. until you get to robot ninja it's yeah. really great it's a great but, noir almost like it, yeah there, there's uh, a um detective story wrapped in with the first real wolverine action we've seen yeah yeah that that sequence in like the cherry blossom garden mm-hmm. that, that was when i was like I think I just saw Wolverine. Did well, you see then, what he yeah. was just doing? Did you see those jumps? That was Wolverine jumps. Well, and the, it was James Mangold, which by the time he did Logan, he finally was able to do like a really good Wolverine movie. And 
I liked Logan a lot. Logan was really good. Although it is Unforgiven with Logan. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, it's a, yeah. it is the, probably the only Western comic book movie, but there's no doubt yeah. it's a Western. But it's also one of the only comic book movies that made me cry. So Yeah, yeah. it's a great movie. Chokes me up. It's, it's crazy. Like, I don't remember what... I think it got nominated for best adapt or maybe even one best ad- ad- adapted uh, screenplay screenplay. Could I'm, be, uh, you know, I know I, it got nominated. It's so funny. I, I was such an Oscar dude growing up. I mean, being a movie nerd, it meant so much to me. And the last time I think I paid attention to the Oscars since mm-hmm. moving to Portland was when, we had like 35 comics riff the Oscars at the lamp about four yeah, years ago. And you were not a big fan of the shape of water from what I remember. Right. That's correct. Um, I will say <laughs> that the shape of water, I think was getting closer to what the heart of Guillermo del Toro movies used to be. Yeah. But he has kind of crawled up his own ass in the way Peter My- Jackson and other visual directors have mm-hmm. have gone when the budget like when the the accessibility to like any budget special effects mm-hmm. uh, uh makes itself you know, available to a director i yeah. think there's such an urge for to overindulge that you often lose the heart of the story yeah like my my problem with the shape of water is that it's the movie that it only exists because you couldn't do hellboy 3 that's really what I believe. That's what I truly believe. Because just Hellboy 3 was supposed to be this bigger budget. Like, it wasn't going to be as personal of a story as The Shape of Water is. It was going to be more bombastic. But mm-hmm. it was like this apocalyptic storyline. It was going to be all this really cool stuff. And then, of course, they made that really, like, <sighs> confused Hellboy movie is the best way I can describe it. <laughs> Because it's that movie didn't know what it wanted to be. Like, mm-hmm. I'm with you. The new Hellboy movie, for a second, I was really on board. You mean the, the David Harbour one? David Harbour one. Right. I was on board for a second because, like, I was getting real Evil Dead vibes mm-hmm. at that very beginning scene. And I was like, okay, if this is what this is going to be, I'm actually on board for this. But then it then tried to be a big budget comic book movie at one times and then other times it was trying to be too funny and it was or too serious it just it just was it just didn't seem to know what it was trying to be yeah so when i was watching it because it, it, it's definitely more vulgar and more graphic than the del toro movies well, and that's not hellboy not really i mean no when you read the comics when no. you read the comics the the del toro is a pretty great example of how the comics are yeah, and uh, honestly, I think, um, you know, visually speaking, mm-hmm. uh, just, uh, you know, Harbor doesn't look the part. Uh, no. He doesn't have, have the physicality. I thought that but, he was the best part of the movie, honestly. I thought he, he did a great job with what he was given. Like, I, I, it was weird hearing Hellboy say fuck, because <laughs> Hellboy is supposed to be this, like, he's from the 50, 40s. He, you know, he appeared during the 40s. He's got a very, like, older sensibility he he'll say what the hell a lot or whatever and damn but he's what the got, hell boy yeah he forgot the what the hell exactly but he's not he's not this foul-mouthed like that he has a little sense of like trying to figure out how who where what his place in the world is and he does have a childlike sense 
but it's not in the way that David Harbour was doing. Yeah. What I thought they should have done with that film, because I, I did enjoy the energy at times and yeah. I enjoyed pieces of it. It just felt like it was a made for cable series that right? had like three or four episodes just stitched together. Yeah. And as I was watching it, I was like, you know, if you broke this into 30 minute mm-hmm. co- you know, uh, comedy horror episodes, this would be a huge hit on shutter. It would be fun. Yeah. It would be fun. Yeah. It, 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 once again, like it had, it's, it had some really great elements to it. I just, it was, it was weird in the sense of how, um, they did that thing where they rebooted it while doing the story that they want that that the previous filmmaker wanted to do at the same time. You mean like to continue this? Story? So where the story takes place in the new in the third that Hellboy movie mm-hmm. is where in the comics it would make sense to go next. Oh, okay. So they're continuing the comic story because that yeah that comic away from that, the movies. If you read the comics that they inspired that the movie was inspired by it's the best part about the co- part of the comics in my personal opinion it's one of the better storylines it's the you know the blood queen it's it's some of the better art which it wasn't actually drawn by magnola it was written by him but it was actually the best way i can describe it is he got an artist that could do what he's trying to do but better <laughs> just a little bit more detailed than magnola does in his art i love magnola's art no, don't get me wrong. I do love Mike McMillan. Yeah, there, there's a lot of like, uh, uh, what's a term for it? Uh, not distortion, but um, everything. There, there's like super exaggeration to yeah. his designs. And yeah. I think it plays well with kind of that supernatural, noir, dark yeah. world of, of, of shadows that yeah. everything exists in. It was just, I think what it was, I think he was working on a bunch of stuff at the time too, but the artist that he got to work with him, I thought it was Mike Mignola because it's kind of the concept where I was reading it and I was like, oh, okay. It seems like it's just, he's getting to be a better artist as it goes along. And I'm sure he has, but it was that concept where I was like, oh no, this is a different artist. They just did a really good job at sort of doing what he was doing, but maybe with a little bit more detail than he's either capable of or willing to do. If that makes any sense. Yeah. But it, yeah. it still, it doesn't, it doesn't like, it doesn't take away anything. In fact, if anything, it makes it better. And I think it allowed him to also focus more on the writing aspect, which is fine. You know? Yeah. And that actually, uh, to, to circle back to the uh, topic at hand, um, the artwork in the monsters book, um, it's, it borders on almost, Newspaper comic strip style, a little bit. It's a lot of cross stitching. I know. Well, I was going the, the cross specifically. The cross stitching reminded me of or cross hatching, uh, not stitching. Ah. Cross stitching is sewing. It's cross hatching. That was my fault. <laughs> That's okay. I, I was with you on the cross stitch. You know. <laughs> um, the, uh, I noticed it uh, specifically. He there was a lot of use of it for the confuse to represent confusion of the characters there, yeah. there is so much done subtly art wise to be a representation of the characters mental states yes and then later when we start getting into the psychics and ghosts that appear in the latter half of the stories mm-hmm. you initially i didn't even recognize 
what was supposed to be ghost characters yeah. interacting with living characters. Yeah. And later, as it becomes clearer in the art, was I able to kind of glance back and see that there was these subtler hints yeah. that this character isn't a living person. I just didn't know it because the story hadn't really yep. kicked its hat yet. Yeah. There are so many subtle connections in this storyline. I mean, we we have... I think maybe four major divergent storylines we have. We have the there's actual... the there's the well. It starts off with a whole with Elias McFarlane and his storyline where he gets uh, Billy Bailey, <laughs> which sounds like a comic book character. Um, well, isn't Bill Bailey? Yeah, yeah. And literally, Bobby, not Billy. Ah, Bobby yeah. Bill Bailey. Bailey was the song, right? Bill Won't Bailey. you come home, Bill Bailey? Won't yeah. you come home? Something like that. Some old. Is like Bill 30s, Bailey, 40s thing? Is Bill Bailey the character from It's a Wonderful Life? Oh, fuck. I don't know. It's I only whatever. watched it for the first time in my entire life this last Christmas. Really? And it affected me so goddamn much. Yeah. I had no idea. It's a great movie. It really is. And it led to me just doing a week of Jimmy Stewart films. <laughs> I was just like, oh, God, I forgot how great. The, <laughs> yeah. He was truly a Did transcendent. You a point where you just started talking like this? <laughs> my fridge is full of just smuckers at this point. Yeah, I'm gonna take a, I'm gonna take a rope and I'm gonna I'm gonna put it around the moon for you. <laughs> yeah, you know, I didn't even, and I've heard that quote, and I've probably yeah. see. There's your cross stitching because she sewed that for him. That's true. Yeah. yeah. Buffalo but, Bill, won't you come out tonight? Anyway, um, right, now now we're truly <laughs> digressing, and I'm I'm suddenly squeezing my penis between my legs. <laughs> you didn't have to. You didn't. You that was all your full disclosure for you. There's <laughs> nobody needed to know that. <laughs> Everybody needed to know that. Needed. Are you kidding me? Uh, for for the listeners at home, that was my penis popping back out. Yep, Bong. <laughs> it's very metallic. Uh, <laughs> Spring loaded. Yeah. Um, it's yeah. after after fifty years, he had to get a uh, metallic stent. So yeah. So um, back to the story. Uh, opens with uh, a one-eyed kid trying to sign up to the army. Right. Is, well, it actually opens gets... with him getting chased by a guy yelling in German which is turns out is his father ah oh, fuck okay so we've been trying to do this show for three months now yeah and I read probably the first 50 pages of this yeah. three months ago oh yeah I read most of this th three months yeah. ago <laughs> and and then every time we scheduled to, it's always been a Sunday we've tried yeah. to schedule for mm -hmm. and Two of those weekends, I was going to like read everything the day before. Yeah. And on like those first two weekends, just by circumstance, I ended up doing acid both those Saturdays and did not end up reading it. <laughs> and then luckily things fell apart because I was trying Dude, to cram the art, book in that. Looking night at this art time. on acid would just be a lot. <laughs> well, there's being just black and white and, and having as much open space as it has in all of it. I think I yeah. would have just been filling in the gaps. Yeah, that's fair. 
You probably would have seen it in color. <laughs> I don't. I don't think I would want to. This, this is a very like once once we get into the Nazi experiments that took place during World War II, which yeah. which comes about like they're referenced throughout the whole story, but you only really get to see them in true flashback in the third act of the story. Yeah. Cause it starts off the first, so it's there, the, the different acts as they are. Um, cause it would take too long to go into every little bit, whatever. So the first, uh, first thing is just a little flashback of Bobby, not bill, Bobby Bailey, uh, and his mom Beetle, running Beetle Bailey. Beetle Bailey, Beetle Bailey. Um, there's a character in that comic that was a uh, precursor to Craig Meyer from uh, Family Guy. But anyways, let's get into other things. Yeah. We'll yeah. talk about that. We'll later, talk about that. I need to know more about that. That's the thing. Um, <laughs> so Bobby Bailey, his mom, Janet, are being chased by their father. They don't show that that's who it is, but it's sort of like showing why Bobby Bailey loses his eye without really going into much to it. Um so then it flashes to he is a kid in the 60s or 70s who's uh, joining the army. He doesn't really have much of an education. He's kind of he doesn't have a social security card. Even there's this guy named uh, Elias, Elias Elias McFarlane. So Elias McFarlane is the he's a sergeant for the army. He's a recruiter. And he after seeing all this stuff about how he has um, like the Bobby has like no past basically supposedly seems to not have a past. He does, but he, he seems to, seem to have any family that would notice yeah, him missing. Exactly. So he doesn't seem, yeah, he doesn't seem very important. So he calls, he's been told that if anything comes up to this to like send it up upper brass, basically, and so he calls and he, he turns this kid in to, to go with them to this thing. Um, they find out he only has one eye because uh, he was wearing sunglasses to begin with. Uh, so there's that. There's a whole storyline involving Elias and his family and how he's just keeps on having these dreams. He's remembering this woman that when he was younger was like this angelic presence to him, which was very interesting. And yeah, and it doesn't, they don't tie that storyline off till like the last 20 pages. Maybe yeah, it's, 30 pages. it's, it's really cool. It's great. Yeah. So yeah, there, there are no loose strings in the no. story. Everything that is brought up will come back and it, it comes back succinctly and tightly. Yes. Yeah. It's so there's, there's that. So it, there's a whole thing about how he is, he has, gone and talked to he he's he's t tried to check in on what's going on with bobby and there's like these scientists that are like working on the whole project he meanwhile bobby is developing these cancerous ulcers basically on his body turning him to look like a very hulk like creature and he's he's now stuck at home with his wife, who's very supportive, but she's, she's also worried about him because he's like, she wants to go on a vacation. She knows that he's off. He's he's like paranoid to the fact that he has these old Superman comics that he had written notes in when he was younger about something. And he's like been obsessed about it because he's if this was the shining, he has the shining, basically. Right. <laughs> his family has the shining. His shining. Yeah. His daughter, Nina, has it, too. As did his grandmother. As which did his grandmother. Later. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so, so 
he becomes this like conduit that connects all the other characters because he's able to see beyond the immediate storyline. And as everything plays out, you realize not only are these characters connected in the, because I don't want to give away all everything, because yeah. I think this is a tremendous. It's a great work. story. Yeah. Everyone who is a fan of comics should read this. this and, and yes. It, yeah. it, very powerful stuff. And again, just, it's so well written. I mean, the art's great, but it the, is. the writing is, uh, it's. it's this is like a perfect movie script almost. It's what I always look for. There is there is no wasted yeah. time. Everything circles back. Everything. There. It's like he will write you to a point where you're wondering where things are going, and then mm. cut to the next uh, storyline. Sometimes, sometimes the next storyline goes back for further too, which is interesting. Yeah, there was a bit at the beginning with the time shifting where I was getting confused. Yeah. Because it, it took me a minute, like, there, there is a, and I'm going to make a lot of film analogies because that's the language I mostly speak. That's fine. But there, there was a movie that came out recently, well, not recently, for me, 10 years ago was recently, <laughs> about a decade ago, it was yeah. another adaptation of uh, John Le Carre's um, Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. Yes. Yeah. And uh, it was fantastic. It was really good. But I, initially, I was shifting, with, I was having a hard time dealing with the time shifts till mm-hmm. I learned to pick up that uh, Gary Oldman's eyeglasses were the signal of what era you were in. I was going to say uh, a worse movie, but it has that kind of weird thing with the time shifts. It's the thing at a sucker punch. <laughs> horrible, horrible. Well, I mean, how can you do a uh, comic book podcast without referencing Zack Schneider? Zach Schneider. The, the director's cut's better. Fuck, I have no idea which one I watched because I hardly watched it. Yeah, I saw saw the movie in theater. I saw the movie in theaters originally, but then I I recently watched the director's cut, and it was more clear. It had a better, uh, you had a better understanding by the end of the movie what was going on, which Zack Snyder is, he's a mess, but he's he's less of a mess if, if, if they let him do what he wants to do, which is really weird. Not... I'm not saying it's good or bad because he's so he's such a polarizing figure within the comic book adaptation. Like some people absolutely love some of the stuff. I remember some people I knew I remember uh, 2005 300 came out and everybody at the time seemed to just love that movie unless you were uh, uh, what's his face fucking um Roger Ebert hated that movie. <laughs> well, I, I can tell you, I personally hated that movie. Yeah. Me and my, I, God, it was a holiday, maybe Thanksgiving. I don't remember when it uh, came out, but it was in the theaters when um, me and my brothers were visiting my mom mm-hmm. and, and my son was with us. And I've got a younger brother who's actually three months younger than my son. So the two of them kind of grew up together as though they were brothers. Yeah. And my mom was having a hard day, whatever holiday it happened to be. So I was like, you know what? I'm taking the kids to go see that new 300 movie. Yes. And my brothers were like, fuck it. We'll go too. And they, you know, they, they're both <laughs> in their forties. You know, it's slightly younger than me. Yeah. And so, uh, 
we went to go watch the movie. I think we might have taken some tequila in with us. Mm. And halfway through the movie, we were openly just riffing it and <laughs> pissing off the entire room. But we didn't care. We It just... The movie just doesn't end. But yeah. there, there's a point where there's these crab-armed people cutting people's heads off. <laughs> and I don't remember it's... when those existed back in Roman times, but <laughs> that's when we just, we were like, See, fuck it all. You know, <laughs> the hang, oh, the gloves are off. Let's just the, go for the it. The best way I can put it, though, is it is not a bad adaptation of 300 by Frank Miller. It's just that the 300 by Frank Miller is not a great book. I was going to, I actually read the book after the movie. Cause yeah. I was like, well, I got to see what this really was. And I think I might've liked the movie better. Cause I got it <laughs> done in one day. <laughs> Cause that, that, that was about the point when I started realizing Frank Miller might not have the same, like the political viewpoints that I do. Yeah. So Frank Miller is an interesting case because he was such an intri- he was such a prolific writer during the 80s specifically the 80s um cuz he did he he popularized Daredevil he did The Dark Knight Returns he did Batman Year 1 which is still one of the best Batman stories it's such a good mm-hmm. self-contained you don't need to read anything else Batman to enjoy that book it's so well done it's a great noir book the artwork is fantastic I love David Mazzuchelli as it is, but that's some of his best work. Um, and then, sort of, the early two, th- early night, the late, somewhere time in the nineties, he started getting up his own ass. I tried reading Sin City recently, and I realized I like the movie better than the book because the movie is at least like they they have a fun time playing with this really bad dialogue. But when you're just reading it and you have to put it in your own your head, it's like this is not good. And then <laughs> uh, I'm with you. 2001 happens, uh, 9-11, and he becomes this very like hyper libertarian, more on the conservative side. And then he does stuff like Holy, Holy Terror, which was originally going to be Holy Terror Batman, which is one of the most racist, Islamophobic like things you could ever experience and see. So did Pat, Batman get taken out of this title because yes. they looked at the writing he and they're was, like, yes. we cannot let you he, attach this to our He IP. pitched it as a Batman story. And he almost seems like he did the book expecting DC to pick it up because if you look at it, Catwoman is in there. She barely looks anything different like Catwoman. He has a Batman looking guy. He just takes away the ears. <laughs> like it looks like it was redrawn. What's it called? Holy Terror. It's bad. It's really bad. It's 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 not good. It's not well written. Only now it's, am I putting together the title and what that represents mm-hmm. for the era. Jesus. It's funny though because there's already a Batman story called Holy Terror, but it's not that. It's a it was from the it was it was back when they did the Legends of the Dark Knight and it's about a, a Catholic priest version of Bruce Wayne that becomes a Batman. And it's just completely different. But for some reason, he decided to pitch another idea for one called Holy Terror Batman, which I get it. It's like a pun on the whole, you know, like uh, yeah, maybe Robin. He, maybe but. he wasn't familiar with maybe, the, the previous title or he just know. didn't care. Just didn't care. He's but either bigger. way, I'm Frank fucking Miller. Of course. Like, my, my if you look at bigger. the Dark Knight, um, the what is it strikes again. It's, it's bad. 
It's I don't bad. even know that title. It's 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 the sequel to The Dark Knight Returns. It's bad. And then the recent one they had they had to they literally had other writers work with him where he did the plot outline and he didn't really do the writing basically for the third one. Oh fuck. Dude, okay. Fra- Frank Miller is it sucks. Also his movie his, his his the movie he directed of The Spirit is just god awful. It's oh, I've fun. seen clips. It's yeah. fun. You I feel like that for you liking bad movies it might be fun to watch but it's bad. Yeah, I don't know, uh, because I've seen clips of it, and there is a thing uh, that comes with um, being a movie riffer and being a fan of good, bad films, is that there is, like, tedious films that are not fun. Like, I can riff anything. You can put anything on and riff it. Me and one of my co-hosts of, of, of uh, Forgotten Fantasies, Avalon Leonetti, yeah. we used to, in, in, in the before times, uh, before the pandemic, <laughs> we would hit every goodwill we could, yeah. but occasionally the bins to find whatever VHS was out there. And at the bins, you used to find a lot of black spines, which mm-hmm. is a unmarked VHS tape, home recorded. Yeah. And we were always hoping to find some home porn to riff yeah um didn't ever happen came close we thought we found mm-hmm. it one time turned out it was just a renaissance fair wedding but it's <laughs> almost the same exact thing <laughs> a lot of boobs amazing there you go yeah and people jumping through fires which is probably the most exercise any of these folks have had in years <laughs> but uh, okay. um fuck i do uh but yeah we riffed a lot of people's Christmas mornings and birthday parties. And so Uh, like you can riff anything, but there has to enjoy doing it. Mm -hmm. There has to be something on screen that appeals to you and a tedious movie or just a boring, poorly put together movie isn't enough. It's like, I like going for low budget movies that might not be working, but you can actually feel you can, the love of yeah. The there's work. heart. There's yeah. heart. The yeah. person they're trying. They're trying. Their they best. just don't. They just don't. They just don't have it. Yeah, and I don't know how much Frank Miller is trying at that point, and and everybody yeah. else involved. I I do know it's, that they lost funding during the production, so that had something that to do. That doesn't surprise me. Yeah, and so that had something to do with a lot of the, the bad animation. The I best, guess. the be, one of the best things in the movie is honestly Samuel L. Jackson is the best part of that movie because he really does his best. I mean, he does. He literally at one point comes out and starts doing a speech wearing a a Nazi uniform. Which is Samuel Jackson? <laughs> it's so, it's the weirdest fucking thing you're going to see in your life. But there's a scene where he I'm not is, comfortable even making a joke about it. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah, I'm just like I'm just sticking with that. I'm I'm literally just saying what you see. And he at one point though he is looking at these in like experiments that they did, and they have these really weird like Tweedledum and Tweedledee characters, and apparently they're clones. And they show one that's just the head of one on a foot and he's just staring at it and he's like, that is damn weird. That's just <laughs> damn weird. It's weird to watch it now. If I, 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 I haven't watched it since it was in theaters. This was 2008. So that was like, yeah, 14 years ago. Fuck. That's weird. Um, yeah. Jesus Christ. Dude. Yeah, I don't even want to think about that. Wait so, until you're 50. Yeah. I'm, I'm 30. Everything's 14 I'm going to be, thir- I'm going to be 33 and that feels weird. Um, Again, let me say, wait till, wait till you're 50. Yeah. <laughs> that's, 30, that's, 30 didn't hit me. 40 yeah. didn't mean shit. 
50, I might as well be dead. I I already have disappointed father energy. So. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I, I'm going to alpha all over that with my disappointed grandfather energy. <laughs> That's fair. So, but I haven't watched this since it came out. And the... It had Scarlett Johansson. It had... I had no idea. Yeah, Eva Mendes was in it, which she's never been a great... Mrs. Gosling? Is that is she married to... Really? Yeah, it's her that. and Ryan Gosling. I don't know if they're married, but they've been together I remember they were, they were in The Place Beyond the Pines t- uh, together. I forgot about that. I don't think I could even finish that. Really? Yeah, it did not connect for I, I actually really... I actually oh, you know what? One. The one I didn't finish was the one Gosling directed himself. Oh, okay. The place beyond the pines, that's the one that's like three generations. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah. It's like multiple generations. It was all right. I enjoyed it. Um I was uh that was also like like a year after Drive came out and that Which was sort is, of like I fucking love Drive. Yeah, it's great. It, 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 as an eighties kid. Yeah. You know, it, 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 the synthesized hit. uh soundtrack for that movie. And I think it really, uh, honestly, it was like the opening salvo of the 80s renaissance, which Mm. I think was like ended by, uh, for me at least, by Stranger Things. But that's Mm. when it really blew up. And I mean, pretty much every Netflix production now is just like hard lit by primary (sighs) fucking Italian giallo lighting. And I I can't deal with it anymore. Yeah, it's one thing when you do a little bit here and there and someone really does have fun with it but once it gets to the point where everything's doing it just kind of you get that's the problem is people follow the money and the money eventually just like people don't want the fans don't want them don't want people to follow the money but the people are like oh well this was popular so let's just keep on doing that well i think we see a few things uh uh, there's certainly Almost like I know that Netflix does a lot of um, like AI uh, uh, learning yeah. to determine yeah. you know what What's factors are working, but and then we have a lot of replication. Like I was watching Peacock Plus last night. Or I shouldn't say that. I was reading this goddamn book <laughs> while my friend was watching the new Fresh Prince of Bel Air show on Peacock. Have you seen that shit? I saw the trailer and that was enough for me. That was enough for me, too, let me tell yeah. you. But I ended up seeing a full episode or two oh, last night. Well, listening for the most part. And trying to turn that story into melodrama with no comedy at all was... It doesn't... It's... It, yeah. It's bizarre. But the lighting has all these crazy blue and red contrasting, yeah. you know, hard lighting through it. And I, as it would cut to commercials, I would see that on every show's production. Hmm. And with Peacock, I think most likely they're just trying to replicate what people feel a streaming show should look like, what they've gotten used to seeing on Netflix and, and on Amazon. But I've actually been, because I've been noticing all these, uh, um, similarities between streaming shows. I've started digging into, uh, the requirements for Netflix that, you know, there's about 12 different cameras you're allowed to use. You have to uh, record in 4k or 8k. Uh, you have to use it within a certain, um, color channel that, uh, you know, doesn't 
add any effects to keep everything clean so Netflix can make changes themselves after the fact. One, just for streaming reasons, so it can scale to different sizes and streaming sizes and such, but also so they can do their own work on it. Like with yeah. Sabrina, the new Sabrina show, after the fact, they the director used some anamorphic lenses from the 80s to try to give it a slight... Uh, mystical feeling during some of the like magic scenes apparently mm -hmm. i haven't really watched the show i've just read up about it yeah but apparently it didn't do it enough and so after the fact netflix sent it to a digital company that added um anamorphic lens artifacts digitally and so they and Weird. that caused a little more lens flaring to it uh, some more color change and so i think that um you're seeing some changes that are being made because they are having an expectation that folks are watching a lot of this on smaller platforms than yeah, televisions. Yeah. And so they're trying to make it uh, visually appeal and, and to be able to share the information on a smaller screen. So mm -hmm. the colors need to be more contrasty. You want the edges to kind of fade off. So focus goes in towards the center. It, yeah. It's like all of these different, like uh, apparently they digitally add um, shallow depth to some of the shows on Netflix. And so now I'm constantly looking for it <laughs> and I convince myself I see it when it doesn't exist. I went on this giant diatribe about the new, um, the new Texas chainsaw movie oh, that came out a couple terrible. weeks ago oh it's garbage but it's riffable garbage yeah i had a good yeah. time watching it and if you take the credits out it's only 73 minutes long so so it's not a long watch yeah but it was i was so convinced that netflix created it because every step of it every <laughs> look of it looks like it was made to be streamed on a phone yeah that i like just i i went on to Shutter Horror fans uh, um, Facebook page and mm -hmm. broke down all these pictures and explained all this bullshit about it. And the first post was like, dude, I uh, hate to burst your bubble, but they bought this movie after it was done produ in production. Oh, wow. And I, was, and I looked it up and I was like, motherfucker. <laughs> you know, That's crazy. Right. That's fucking crazy. But that also, I think, is indicative of where the industry is now, where these things, these specific looks have become so ingrained and there's such an expectation for mm -hmm. it that they're there. And I mean, Texas Chainsaw, if you look at the series, it is the dirtiest, yeah. grittiest, grimiest. It, all the colors are yellow and yeah. dirt and mud and blood. And this is the first Texas Chainsaw Massacre that has multiple scenes lit by neon. Weird. Yeah. And it is just where I think uh, film is right now so because there's an expectation that even if this was, they thought it was going to release in theaters, yeah. they knew it was going to be seen more commonly on a streaming platform and, so, and filmed it with that in mind, I believe. That's really weird. So, did, so, did, so to they even just it as a separation from the standard fare of what you expect from a taxi chairman. That's how I felt about it. Yeah. That is that. Yeah. It's, it is bizarre. It is bizarre. I'm, I, I remember seeing like, I don't watch a lot of the stuff on those. I, every once in a while something come up on and I'll just, I'll enjoy it. 
Um, I think the last thing that was on Netflix that I really thoroughly enjoyed was um, Into the Fucking World. You know, I didn't watch that. Uh, I really a lot of friends it. have really enjoyed really it. See, second season seemed unnecessary. It was it was okay, but the first season is is damn near perfect in my personal opinion. No, what what are the ages of the characters? Are they late teens? Mid-teens, I would say. Yeah, that's part of the problem. I I think I'm so old now, I'm having a hard time. It's Yeah. I've gone from having, like, you know, children to grandchildren now. And it's, like, there's a distance now where I I can appreciate high school shows to a certain degree. But I don't... It's like I remember my high school trauma. Mm -hmm. But that's almost all I remember. I I don't remember the day-to-day interactions. I don't remember... The, um, what the emotions were. I remember getting the shit beat out of me regularly, mm-hmm. you know, by bullies and skinheads and those things. And I remember, you know, just the, the stress and isolation and moving around. I went to seven different high schools before I eventually yeah. dropped out. But, um, you know, those are the things I take back that I, that I can mm-hmm. like, it's like I can, yeah, uh, vaguely remember other interactions, but so when I'm watching these shows, I don't. It, it doesn't like bring bring back specific memories. It makes it kind of there's a melancholy that comes from it to That's me fair. That, that just I don't want to experience that. That there, there's almost yeah. a longing for a feeling that I don't think is uh, is recapturable. I I enjoyed it cuz it it had a very it kind of it made me think of a Coen Brothers movie in a lot of ways. Oh, oh shit. Yeah, it it's it's well, it's, it 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 starts out a little high schooly, but it's mostly about this this kid who thinks he had well, is convinced he's a psychopath. Like, so he's a, he's this guy, he's this kid who is, yeah, he's just neurodivergent. He doesn't relate to anyone else at school. He even like has one hand that's really fucked up because he like purposely put it into like a blender or some weird shit like that. And he has this girl that he, that keeps on hanging around him who likes him, but he's sort of like convinced that he's just going to kill her. Now he's convinced he's going to kill her or she's he's convinced. convinced. Okay. Like he's decided he's probably just going to kill her one day and they go on this trip and something happens. And there's a point where these two detectives are following them. And it just like, at one point I'm like, this is very, this reminds me of like, I'm trying to think of like what era of Coen brothers movie I wouldn't say like quite blood simple, so not that far back, but it reminds me of a little bit of a Coen Brothers noir in okay. some ways. Yeah, and and I mean, really, uh, I, I think the th- deeper you go back, the the more mm-hmm. pure their noir is. I mean, yeah. Blood Simple is maybe like the beginning of the uh, of the modern neo noir. Yeah, you know, they kind of reopened it all. Wow, what a movie! Man. It's a great Dan movie. Hedaya. Fuck. Yeah, people slept on that guy. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's, an, that's encouraging enough to make me want to go back. I, I would say I'm sure uh, no country for old men yeah. is in my top five films ever. Yeah. And you know, the Coen brothers are the shit, but I guess now it is no longer the Coen brothers. Uh, one of them uh, seems to have retired to, um, uh, directing plays only, which is why the other brother released, I think it was, was it, was Mink the film he just released? 
Well, there's I Mac might be Beth. mixing that. Ah, Macbeth, that's what yeah. it was. With uh, Denzel. Yeah, Mank was maybe Curran or somebody like that. There was, there was another oh, director. Oh, uh, Mink was uh, Fincher. Fincher, there it is. That's somebody who, somebody who, who worked well with noir colors, I remember yeah, that yeah. much. Which, yeah, um, obviously, I'm sure that based off of your how what you look for in a movie watching into the fucking world would probably have a different experience for you than me but i just remember really enjoying this and it wasn't what a, it was it came it's very it's once again it has the second season i would almost recommend not watching the second season i would almost recommend just considering it as one season because it 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 almost ruins it if you watch the second one to me, like it just, it, it's, it was like, it was unnecessary. It added things that didn't, it answered things that didn't need to be answered things like that. Gotcha. Cause it has that, the ending it was of midichlorians first, all along. Yeah. Right. The ending has such a Coen brothers, like the ending doesn't end kind of feel, you know, to it, if that makes sense. Like it, it just does. like, yeah. Um, and it was just, it was really well done. All the episodes are like 20 minutes long. They're really short. It's it's like eight episodes. It's it's like it feels like a movie. You could watch it in one setting if you wanted to. It might be a little bit of a long of a setting, but I think I watched You've it. You've met me. Seconds. I sit for a long yeah. time. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So I, w- I would yeah, give it a I, shot. Now I feel like I got to. Yeah. I'll give it a shot. Back, you know what I think? Yeah. Once again, though, don't, don't bother watching the second season i wasn't going to yeah <laughs> i almost yeah. never do I'm a, yeah. I'm a one season guy i think i was saying that earlier i i don't have the uh i it's like once i've lost the momentum it's hard to go back to something yeah um if you hadn't kept in uh insisting that we get this episode in the can sooner or later yeah i never would have finished the comic the after putting it That's down fair. the first time i can't tell you how many books are half read on my shelf Oh, I'm I'm I really that too because I threw them all away. <laughs> I'm really mad about that too. I, need I have space a for the VHS. I um so we're getting kind of towards the period where I usually I'm trying to get these at this pretty concise amount of time just because of editing and all that good stuff. Um Maybe is there we should actually talk about the comic. Is there anything finally. more that you wanted to say about the comic? Um well, uh, I, I think that uh, we spent more time talking about things other than that. So um, yeah. <laughs> to, to tie back into the book, I, I, I would say that it is a historical um, drama, mm-hmm. a uh, noir-like detective thriller, a monster story, yeah. and a classic comic book story all wrapped in, up into one. There's some fantastic black and white art. Mm-hmm. And he actually, um, where is my phone? Because I forget the title. Oh, okay. There is a frame in, in the end of the book that I caught, and it made me almost want to just like go back through and see how many other times this happens. While you're doing uh, that, a couple things I really wanted to uh, address. I really, when I was reading it and made it hard for me to read for a little bit, was um, there's a lot of journal entries from the mother's perspective. Right. And not not only are they dense yeah. with language, but it's in her cursive handwriting. It is. And, and I something I noticed, though, was that you can see how her life is going based off of how legible it is. Oh, I did not catch that. But I did um, catch that, like, she she wouldn't tell you exactly what was going on yeah. in her story, but the context let you know 
how awful things really were progressing yes. in the background as she yeah. tries to make them sound as though well, they, they would have these dichotomy. Like they had juxtapose, like who are talking about something going where like, you know, like, oh yeah, everything's what, you know, oh, he got hurt. He, he had a bike accident and you see the bike accident, but you, then you see the actual thing that happened <laughs> with the father and without, you know, getting, I guess this one's going to be less spoiler filled than some of uh, previous episodes and that's fine. I, I would like it to be less spoiler filled. Cause I, I think if we give away too much of the way the stories interconnect here, it, it, takes something away yeah as, that's, as that's i was fair. reading there were i think you were sitting here as i read the last 40 50 pages this yeah. uh afternoon and there were moments when i was like are you fucking kidding me i said out loud because i heard the, you yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, the, there are some reveals <laughs> that are really effective oh absolutely um, and so uh i did want to make a reference and so if anyone pulls this up online or has a, a copy of the book if you go to page 359 and you look down at the bottom, and we see young. Uh, uh, it's a flashback scene of uh, Bill Bailey, mm-hmm. Bobby Bailey, Bobby whatever. Bailey. Beetle Bailey. <laughs> Beetle Bailey. Getting his ass beat by Sergeant. Now, he, <laughs> if you look on page three fifty nine, he is uh, he has wrecked his bike, and he is crawling towards his house upside the hill, and it is re- reminiscent of the nineteen forty eight uh, painting by Andrew Wyeth, Christina's World, one of the best known American paintings. And I am going to show that painting to you here. I'm sure you will recognize it. Oh wow! Yeah, and look at it that's, side by side. It, that's it is, really that's really crazy. It is a direct reference, which um, I think uh, means there, there there's a very good chance that there are other allusions to. Uh, great American art that I slid by as I came through. This definitely seems like the kind of book that you want to revisit every year or so. Because there's, I have a feeling I'm going to pick up on things the next time I read this that just slid past me. It's, you got to imagine 35 years of writing and tweaking the story and probably coming up with bits of art. I mean, I have projects that I'm working on that may never see the light of day or they might not see the light of day for like 10 years. Who knows that I have these ideas and I have these like notes for, cause I draw comics sometimes and I have, Oh yeah. Well, by the way, fantastic work. I love the stuff you do. I love, Thank you. I, I love your art for the podcast as well. Thank you. Um, I don't know if uh, enough people talk about that cause uh, your shit is very, very good. I, I love it. Thank you. I appreciate that. That's that means a lot. <laughs> oh, of course. I mean, I mean it, it makes perfect sense why you exist in this world, because uh, not not only do you love the art, but you produce it very well as well. Thank you. That's that that means a lot. Huh. <laughs> um, but what was I saying? Uh, <laughs> get me flustered. Yeah, okay. he's, he's blushing, I've been, everybody. I've been, I've been flattered twice today. <laughs> oh, and fed. And fed, yeah, yeah thank I you. expect yeah. at least a hand job. Yeah. Oh, my mitts. That's, that's, <laughs> that's the best I can give you. <laughs> Sadly, it really is the best he can give me, because last time he gave me an actual hand job, it was a little less. Yeah, I, uh, I, I, I have a lot of experience with my own, but no one else's. So, <laughs> the, the, the glass box is a little <laughs> opaque at this point. Is all I'm saying. <laughs> it's actually me. What? Well, what happened was, you know, I there was a understanding, and then I put a glass box around myself, and I just, just went back and forth, just like 
<laughs> rolling back and forth like a like a like a person in a in a in a, in a uh, mental ward. Like, oh, <laughs> I'm in a. Cl- how did that l- line go? I'm in a glass a box, box of my of, own emotions. Yeah. <laughs> from uh, Milk was a bad decision. Yeah, yeah, yeah milk was a bad choice. Uh, I've seen that movie too many times. Same. Um, <laughs> yeah, but uh, I, I think people do should go back and yeah. uh, read this book. I certainly will. And uh, when doing so, I'm going to be what, looking at the art and trying to find connections well, there. That's and, what and I circle back. On I love book. about when you find work done by an artist who is the writer as well, because you have these extra illusions that they have, you have these extra little Easter eggs you have, you were seeing 100% that artists, um, what they're capable of. If you liked all of the little tidbits and stuff and little secrets in here. Um, and this is a recommendation to you and anyone who's listening to the podcast, uh, mind management or it's uh, mine MGMT by Matt Kent. It ran for six volumes originally. Um, it's very it's it's succinct. Every it's like this where everything that happens, even if it seems unnecessary, like it doesn't have a point, it has a point. Right. Yeah. Right. Every, there, there is no wasted space exactly. in this book. This 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 one mind management. One of the coolest things to me. It's it was one of the most creative it it opened my eyes to what you could do in comic books because there are these panels in mind management so what's really cool about this this other series that i'm talking about now um they have all the pages are looked like they're they look like they've been printed on um government paper like 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 something that you would like classified information would be put it on basically okay. and they have um but it also kind of looks like it it, it looks sign sort of also kind of like the the paper that you would usually see the people would draw the comic on and they would move it to something else but they will have these times where on a corner on one corner of the page you have very small like cutouts of a true crime novel on the bottom you have the storyline of these government agents working like working on something and talking about something. And then you have the main story happening. And then <laughs> you okay. also have these messages going all around about don't worry about blah, 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 da, 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 which later on, at, once you read it, you realize, oh, these are I should have been reading these the entire time. They okay, I get you. So it's, later in the story, it may be, and don't tell me if I'm right because yeah. I I do want to go in, uh, investigate this. But perhaps later in the story, there is a character on a ship that is lost at sea, and the only thing he has to write his notes on is around the edge of a book, and that's what this is get, getting back to referencing. No, not that circumstance. Well, I wasn't trying to say the but, exact one, but, so, but, but something, something similar, odd something like that, something odd like realize, that. Yes. Oh, that wasn't just for atmosphere. Yeah. That's actual. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's all this kind of stuff. And then you have all these characters and like, it just, it all, it all ties together and you, it's, it's so like this, this is absolutely monsters monumentally. It's amazing. It is one of the better graphic novels I've read in a while. Um, but mind management is still one of my gold standards for like how creative and multifaceted something can be as far as a comic goes. 
<laughs> now, did you ever, because I know, uh, I, and I touched on this earlier, and we, we mentioned it briefly, Bill Sienkiewicz, mm -hmm. but did you ever go look at those stray toasters, or did you find I, I looked at some, I hadn't done too much investigation yet. I've had, I, I, I am currently doing a lot right now. <laughs> I, I work for my, I work for myself, kind of, I do like delivery stuff. I'm doing stand-up comedy. I'm doing this podcast where I have to read, edit, all that kind of stuff. And on top of that, I'm doing art. I'm doing, like, I have a lot. I don't have that much free time these days. Gotcha. Yeah. Well, when we wrap this up, I'll actually pull them. They're on my shelf to show it oh, to okay. you. But he's somebody who, as I mentioned, there's a lot of multimedia art. And there's also mm -hmm. some fun um, backstory references. And, uh, I, I think what you were just describing reminds me of some stuff he did on a much smaller scale back then okay. in this story uh, line. But I also just want to name drop it again, because anybody out there listening who is unfamiliar, uh, Sienkiewicz is a fundamentally, um, like, he he transformed he transformed the landscape of comic yeah. book art in the eighties, and I think it's only four issues for this mm -hmm. miniseries. He wrote it. He uh, uh, drew, painted, collaged. There's so much wild multimedia on there, and, and I just would love more people to go back and find it because I think it uh, didn't get the audience it really deserved at the time. It was too eclectic and, and esoteric okay. for the average uh, reader. There's, there's a lot of that. The 80s was a good time for... There was a lot of growth happening in the 80s that not everybody was ready for during the 80s. Right, right. That it's, I'm seeing a lot of stuff that I really like that I'm just like, I can't imagine that they... Like, a great example, and maybe not in the same way, but... um. Arkham Asylum by Grant Morrison and Dave McKean, you could easily see that released right now. Now, are you talking about... So there was an Arkham Asylum one-off one that was broken into chapters with a different artist on each chapter? No, this is all one... This is all... It's a. It's one artist. Um, it's a serious house on a serious... Earth. It came uh, out... I had a poster for that yeah, someone gave me. It's and, a great... It's a great book. Um, that artist, uh, a very Sienkiewicz influenced yeah. uh, artist. It, when yeah, I saw the poster, very, I was like, yeah. "Whoa, was that Sienkiewicz?" And then I saw the artist <laughs> name. I was like, "You faker!" It was probably the same time, so could be parallel thinking too. Who knows? Um, so, I since this is also uh, this is we discussed it. I also like to do a little bit of review, uh, like one to ten um, for. Uh, <laughs> so on a on a scale of one to ten. I uh, revived government experiments. What would you give this? I, I would legitimately give it an eight out of 10, I think. Okay. Um, I was very hesitant because I, I was, uh, when you suggested this, because mm -hmm. uh, the title is, uh, I mean, the illusion of who the monsters is going yeah. to be is pretty evident. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Any anything with that title, it's always going to be us. It was, yeah. it was always us. So, and I had just really wanted to do the Sienkiewicz stuff because I <laughs> knew it, and I didn't want to come in being someone who hasn't really read comic books in 30 years uh, regularly. I thought I, I just wasn't going to have a lot to say. Yeah. Um, that ended up not being the case at all. This mm -hmm. is a incredibly engrossing book. And not only like did I uh, start 
caring for the characters and getting mm-hmm. invested in them, I started like um, uh, casting the movie in my head. Like Michael right. Shannon is the dad. You know that that's the that makes that's a lot the of sense. energy I'm getting from him. Like you know, especially if you think of uh, yeah. So Tom, yeah, Tom Bailey, very reminiscent of Michael Shannon's character in um, Boardwalk Empire. Oh yeah, and, yeah. and a touch. Uh, I think there's a little bit of it in um, The Shape of Water. Yeah, yeah, that same kind of thing. Yeah, that sort of repressed. Like something really bad has happened in his past and he's yeah. just doing things. And there's just this anger, the, the seething, yeah. you know, simmering underneath the surface at all times kind of thing. I think Michael if this, Shannon's such a fantastic actor. I think if this movie had been made 20 years ago, Diane Lane would be a good choice for the mom. Wow. Okay. But I think she's a, she's a aged out of that at this point because the mom's supposed to be probably mid, late 20s to 30s. Yeah, and she's supposed to be stunningly beautiful. Yes. Extraordinary, like out of the ordinary uh, uh, beauty. And Diane falls into that area. I'm not not sure what actress I would... uh, She she was a bit of... Unfortunately, I think she's one of the like less fleshed out characters because so much of what she is writing, particularly Mm -hmm. with the journals and such is expository Mm -hmm. that she's a bit too much of a victim. And I, and I think I would have liked to have seen maybe her been, but I, I understand how that works with the story, Mm -hmm. particularly with, you know, in the context that the writing of this began in 84 too. And and that was, much more common in in story structure was to use a damsel as a as a MacGuffin more than an actual character that has an arc of her own. Yeah, and, and that was the only uh, problem I really had with her is I just felt like she was just a pure victim, and I didn't get to see real growth. It's and a so bit, it but I can see what you're find saying. A person yeah. that that would fall into that. Yeah, especially role. like I'm trying to think of someone who is an actress right now that I would like to see in that where I could see play her character well right now based off of looks and sort of personality. Um, yeah, it's tough. I mean, it, yeah, she she borders on on almost being like she's on the edge of being like Windy in The Shining in this story. Yeah. I mean, yeah. she is just a target towards her husband's wrath so much. It's hard. I, I can't think of any, I mean, it, honestly, I just feel like whatever character you put in that role is going to be so abused. It's going to make yeah. you uncomfortable. Yeah. And that makes it hard to pick an actress that I'd want to see go through that. It's true. Um, I, I, I'm not a big fan of retconning storylines for uh, movie scripts, mm-hmm. particularly to bring them to modern sensibilities. <laughs> But sometimes that you do need some of that, and I think this is a story where if it were to um, somehow be uh, uh, adapted to film, you would have to bring more to that character. She would need to have a little more. I can see that. Um, I think for obviously for the kid, you would just it would most likely just have to be someone who's new, someone who's not unheard of because of how young he is. Because of how young Bobby is through most of the storyline, obviously the adult Bobby is different situation. But 
For yeah, it. interestingly enough, not the actor for it, but boy, does uh, does uh, Bobby look a lot like Tom Holland. Kind of, yeah. Yeah, just yeah. the head shape and the expressions yeah. <laughs> and how innocent he looks young. God yeah. damn it, this fucking story. He's such a nice-looking, happy young kid before Dad comes home from the war. Well, and it's crazy because without going to too much, it's this the shift of the dad before and after is so dramatic because he's like this silly he he it's the concept of like the abusive husband though how he, he started off being almost like too exciting and like fun and like silly and had all these things and then he, the, the the gravity of the real world hit him and then he just like turned into a huge ass well, when the gravity of the real world involves Nazi experimentation and cannibalism. Yeah, you know, I that's mean, true. <laughs> there, there's a line where he's arguing with somebody later in the book and he, mm -hmm. he another dude who had been in the war. And he's like, I saw more in one day than you have in your whole life. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, boy, I hope they show that to us. And they do. Oh, they do. Oh, man. Gosh. Boy, the, the, there is a series of reveals in, in like the final 40, 50 pages that just ties everything together so brutally. Yeah, yeah it's it's insane. Um, All that to be said, it has an ending which is, in its way, touching and warm and happy. Mm -hmm. And it is also very reminiscent of a Mike Flanagan story. It ties up a lot like the house on haunted hill book did, or uh, miniseries did kind of. Yeah. Hmm. I didn't even think about that, but that's, that's kind of, yeah, kind of. Yeah. Yeah. And so everyone listening to this, um, you're going to have to read the comic book and watch the miniseries to understand what we're talking about. Yes. Uh, Maybe, Maybe we'll read like the comic, the comic first. Better. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> In fact, you know what? You don't... It, it, fuck, just read the comic. Fuck Flanagan. Yeah, really, yes. <laughs> Go watch Absentia. I, have, I liked it. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll check it out myself. I haven't watched it myself, so I'll have to check that one out. I gotta I gotta talk to you off... off where Now that I know... I already knew you were in the movies, but I just haven't talked to you that much about it. I, I, that's another passion of mine, is, is, is film, so... Oh, yeah. Well, I'm sure walking into the, to my house, you picked up on that. Then. Yeah. <laughs> Got about 400 VHS on shelf. So, yeah. And, and not even enough room for my DVD collection. That's all in storage. That's crazy. I, I've already gotten a, where I started. I've already started collecting 4K Blu-rays. Just, I, just like. I, I had to stop. I, I, one, I can't afford I, it. Yeah. It, it's just too much. Well, I, I, I need to divest. I don't need to collect more. The one thing I appreciate, and it's not with everything, but there's a lot of 4K stuff coming out where they've corrected some of the mistakes they made when they released the Blu-rays, some of the color corrections and stuff like that. I, I like I've heard, For example, I've heard... Um, the Indiana Jones, like the Blu-rays apparently had some issues with the coloration and how they kind of messed around with it. And they fixed it a lot with the 4K versions. Um, and of course, the Lord of the Rings apparently looks the best it's ever looked. I have heard that and I've wanted to, to go back and, and not see just what that, like. but they said I've heard that the Hobbit trilogy is finally watchable in 4K doesn't matter i'm never yeah, watching that shit again it's Fuck so that. bad it's so bad but i guess like it looks less um it's not as like an eyesore because like the, the the biggest problem everything looked floaty in that movie it didn't look like it like belonged in the same area at all yeah i saw that yeah. one in, in the, the first one in theater i don't yeah. think i even saw this i fell asleep during the third one in theaters 
I, I, you know what's funny about this though? You know when I saw it, fell asleep. The no. same point in the book where Vabriel pulled <laughs> and then I woke up and the battle was over, and I was like, "You know what? I actually had the book experience for this. That's not that bad." Like, and you haven't gone back. <laughs> you haven't gone back. Do they show the battle? Yeah. Oh, like it's pretty pretty brutal, apparently. But yeah, I just like I fell asleep right around that point. That's how they were able to cover three movies with it was yeah. by adding the battle that's yeah not in the book. that's not in the book. Yeah, which yeah, it could have been a it could have been a two-hour movie God, yeah that's the movie i want i don't want to see a <laughs> yeah. cg battle yeah it's like i i am one of those guys that when i watch a marvel movie i'm enjoying the talking scenes yes yeah i i, I want the intrigue i want the, the mm-hmm. humor i don't I, I get so tired so quickly watching cg cartoons yeah. fight yeah it gets a bit much which is why i like a lot of the marvel shows because they do a better job of the personal side of it Okay, I'm with um, you there. Uh, like the, I, they did, did go a little Daredevil? bigger. Did you watch Daredevil at all? I watched the first season. Yeah, which was really good. I really. I liked think the I first might have watched. How many was there? Three seasons. Three seasons. One? Yeah, I saw the first two seasons. Season three was actually surprisingly really good. Um, and I really liked the Hawkeye series that just came out. Because see, the, once I again, think that's not a lot I of haven't seen. not a lot of not a lot of CG. I mean, there obviously it's a Marvel show. There's some that's, but it's more like well integrated. I guess you could say. Um, Loki had a shit ton of CG, yeah. but I actually love that series. I yeah, enjoyed it was a lot. It, of fun. A lot. it was a lot um, of fun. Hiddleston, you know, can carry a lot, but it felt like they put more into that than a lot of the other well, series. CG isn't necessarily a bad thing. It's just how you use it. Yeah. Well, the, the, the art design on that specific series was fantastic. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it, it felt to a certain degree, like it was made for somebody like me. There's a mm. lot of modern sixties and early seventies design in, yeah. in, in that like time travel, uh, yeah. universe, uh, hub, yeah. where, where they come from. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So I think that helped a lot. Uh, and, uh, I was a fan of a lot of what they did with WandaVision, even if I didn't think it all worked. So, Dan Weber said this to me, and I think I, I agree. Legion, which we talked about earlier, did mm-hmm. what WandaVision wanted to do better and before. I think a lot of that is true, because I, mm-hmm. I think it, the way it integrated music videos into yeah. the fights and stuff. There is yeah. a sequence when there's a music video battle over a pit mm-hmm. that reminded me of um, the video game fight at the end of Big Trouble in Little China. Interesting. You have the two wizards, and they start playing basically (laughs) a video game with their spell casting, and two giant uh, ghost-like apparitions are fighting in the sky Mm -hmm. above them. And it was like they they were incorporating in a meta way video games into the movie. And I felt like there was a lot of that going on in Legion, like with music videos and, and other and film and TV scenes where the characters like through his psychosis, you were seeing these weird interpretations. Yeah. And And it's dope. It's really good. Um, I I like a lot of it. I haven't seen the last season of it. It's really good. And it wraps up well. Where do you, where do you find it? Is it Hulu now? Hulu. Okay, yeah. I've got some now. I yeah. need to finish it up. So um, I do want to, speaking of finishing up, probably should need to wrap this up a little sure. bit here. Um, uh, so I'm going to get to the questions I like to ask at the end here. Okay. Uh, so the first one, and you've kind of addressed this a little bit, but what were um, some of the earlier 
impactful instances of like comic book zeitgeist that really like influenced you as a fan? Okay. Well, as a kid, um, you know, I grew up fairly poor. And so I didn't have access to uh, a lot of collecting uh, when I was very young. Mm -hmm. uh, most of the comics that I would have at home would be things that an uncle just bought something at 7-Eleven and brought yeah. it. But one of the nice things of the 70s and early 80s was you legitimately had comic book racks at almost every convenience yep. store. Yeah. So if my dad gave me a buck to go get a candy bar, I was probably coming home with an X-Men uh, comic book. Nice. Because there, you know, there's a, a, a one, I wasn't a snack kid to begin with, but mm -hmm. uh, uh, th there was a desperation to turn money into something tangible. I could keep whenever I did have money. I wanted comics. I wanted movies. I wanted star Wars action figures desperately. <laughs> um, so uh, it, it was kind of sporadic what I got, but the first thing that, ever really stuck with me is I got this trade um, book. It was like uh, 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 the size of just a pocket paperback of okay. the first 20 or 30, I think, Doctor Strange comic books. Nice. Okay. And I, uh, I could keep that with me as we moved around because we moved constantly you know, it, instead of having to carry a crate of comic books as I was doing later when I was 13 or 14, yeah. I just had to carry this one little book that I was slowly working my <laughs> way through. And I already had a fascination with magic and the supernatural, yeah. and it kind of fed into that. And it also... Um, as I had mentioned earlier, super neurodivergent kid. I, I, I was mm -hmm. uh, very, uh, am still, I just process things better, uh, very much on the spectrum. And I had issues with things that weren't logical. And the, the worlds he would go to yeah. were never logical. There would just be stairway floating in space. <laughs> I mean, it, it, like every universe he visited yeah. in this multiverse that existed already back then, long before w w what's going on in comic book yeah. movies now. Yeah. I mean, the well, original Doctor Strange comics, he was dealing with and shit got that from the get-go. Awesome, you got that awesome Kirby art at that point. And, and I hated it as a kid. Yeah. I didn't get what it was. It, you know, I didn't get the throwback references. Mm -hmm. I, I didn't understand the psychedelia. Uh, to me, it was just like jazz music <laughs> as a kid. Confusing yeah. and loud. And, and now I understand the subtleties of it. But uh, there, there would just, everything looked like the beginning of a Twilight Zone episode where mm -hmm. eyeballs are floating in space and stairwells and weird rock like crags that Doctor Strange can stand on to fight someone. Yeah. And when the movie came out, I was like, how the fuck are they going to represent all of this? And they did. Surprisingly really good. Well, Incredibly yeah. well. Yeah. And the weird. Um, Oh, what, what do you call that? The uh, uh, it it's, looks like a spyglass, but you turn it and little things fall around those uh, oh mirrors. Oh, uh, kaleidoscope. Yeah, I have one right over there. The, the yeah. kaleidoscopic psychedelic art of the movie yeah. threw back to the comic books in a way that made the allusion to the original art clear, 
Yeah. But without being cheesy and cartoon, cartoony the way it was represented in the comic books, it made it seem like it, it was like, I guess CG is the only place we can do this now, but there, yeah. there, there was a refraction in this multiverse thing that uh, just couldn't be reproduced on page at the time. And I think they uh, did a fantastic job of it. Yeah. I just don't like his voice as Doctor Strange. That's not what I weird, heard as a kid. He does have a weird, like, it's, it, you would almost prefer him to have his British voice as Doctor Strange than his Entirely. Oh, yeah. like, like when he started talking, talking with this Brooklyn bloody, voice yeah. or whatever, I was just like, what the fuck? Well, he sounds bored, too, almost when he talks a little bit. He's gotten better. Like, in Spider-Man, he seemed a little bit more comfortable in the voice, I think. I haven't watched the new Spider-Man yet. Oh, it's, I, okay, I won't say anything more. Please don't. It's great. Because I, I, I'm very excited for it. I've been kind of saving it for, like, I, I've, I've been concerned about uh, movie theaters. I've been, I, I got yeah. very sick in December. My uh, PCR test was negative, but it might have been COVID because the yeah. type of sick I was was very different than anything I've dealt mm-hmm. with. And it just lingered for almost two months. I'm, I'm just now starting to interact and get out and move That's around fair. again. That's fair. Um, so that the going to the theater didn't feel safe, but now it does. <laughs> and it, it's far enough into like second run status at this point. Yeah. I feel comfortable seeing it on screen because I feel the, the only you're 10 gonna, people uh, in You're the not going to run into that many people in the theater. Yeah. But I love any multiverse kind of idea. Mm-hmm. So I'm excited for that. But I know we're running out of time. So let me tick off the other yeah. couple of quick ones. The yeah. New Mutants was very important to me mm-hmm. as a tween because I was just starting to deal with those kind of issues. And that's exactly what that comic book's dealing with. Yeah. You know, it is, it is young teens dealing with being young teens and their powers or representations of, of their sexuality and mm-hmm. social and societal pressures, which were all things that existed for me at the time. But I was having an even rougher time with it just based on my own isolation. I didn't have friends lived in a small town where there was no access to anything yeah. artistic or movie oriented. And that was truly one of the only places where I could go and find characters that wrestled with similar issues. Yeah. And it, and to this day, I still look back at that comic book as being one of the most important medias of my youth. Okay. Because it was one of the only things I felt like represented something I was struggling with. That's right. Cool. I just felt so different. Yeah. I think that's one of the reasons I enjoyed horror novels so much is because there was <laughs> often characters that are so isolated and cornered in, in the oh. horror books of the seventies and eighties that I could feel like I understood where they were. And the, the early Claremont, um, New Mutant stuff was very horror elements too. Like yeah, there was a lot, well, the demon bear, as you mentioned. Oh, dude. Yeah. The, yeah. I, I mean, but, but I was on board. I think I, I started probably on issue eight and mm-hmm. I, that that's, like one of the only two comic books I ever went back and like collected all the previous comics for. Like yeah. I, I've still got the uh, original graphic not or, or uh, yeah, it was a graphic. I got graphic novel number one, which I think came out at year number at year one. Yeah, I've got uh, the Sinkevich special. I've got mm-hmm. issue one all the way up through probably 40, I'm, I'm guessing. Wow. I mean, I, I stuck with it a little bit after Sinkevich left, and I just didn't like the weird, goofy artists they were trying That's to replace fair. him yeah. with. 
And the story just seemed to kind of slide away. And at that point, I was hitting like 15 years old. Yeah. And starting to actually have some friends. And and if not that, I started drinking and things (laughs) just, you know, I got distracted. That's fair. That's Uh, fair. There was... um, Ariok, Lord of Atlantis, I think, was a comic I collected when I was like twelve. Okay, it's it's an oddball one. It's a it's a uh, guy used string magic in a time before string theory was even talked about. So I, that's kind of cool. I'll pull up some frames and show that to you after this. But those are you know it was like those I I yeah. I, collect, I collected Epic magazine and Heavy Metal magazine just to get pieces of different mm-hmm. things here and there, and I mean that that's really about it. I I read a lot of the Claremont era of X Men because my friend collected it, mm-hmm. um, and then there were just like different series that I would just uh, kind of sniper uh, uh, issue yeah. here or there. If there was a cover, you know, that really spoke to me, I would buy something. But <laughs> it, ma- you know, it really mattered because uh, I only had so much money to yeah. put around. So it something really had to stand out for me to invest into it. Would you Would you say any of those are like your top five? I mean, so normally I ask like top five gra- uh, favorite either story arcs or graphic novels or. Um, hmm. Okay, let, let, let's see what we got there. Um, well, graphic novels, uh, if you would consider the four-part miniseries of Straight yep. Toasters, that, yep. that is definitely at the top of my list. Um, uh, th- this was pretty fucking fantastic. Mm-hmm. Uh, I kind of feel, boy, I, I'm having it for story arcs, I think... Uh, you know, I I actually collected the um, first. Oh shoot! What was that? Se- Secret Wars. Secret Wars. Okay. Yeah, and I am such a monster. I took. I had the issue uh, with the Hulk holding the mountain up on his shoulders as hmm. the cover. Do you remember that one, or, or is this a series you're familiar with? Well, I I. I know it. I haven't really had it. I haven't gotten around to reading it myself. All right. Well, so I think it was the first all encompassing series because I I believe it precedes Crisis on Infinite Earth on the DC side. Yeah. And it brings in characters from every big comic line. Uh, You have Earth's mightiest heroes against Earth's mightiest villains brought together by this godlike figure uh, who who exists in the universe who wants to see what good versus evil kind of means. Mm-hmm. And then he brings the X-Men along too because they're sort of like an outlier. They're, they're hunted by the good people, but they're yeah. out against the bad people. So you have three different kind of armies put together on a planet that is a pastiche of pieces of different planets. Yeah. So there's different environments all over it. And... Uh, it's basically uh, the wars to see what's more powerful, good or evil. <laughs> and they're all fighting each other. And Molecule Man, one of the villains, lifts up a mountain range and drops it on all the heroes. Oh, shit. And the Hulk gets pissed and holds this mountain up on his shoulders as the rest of the heroes are all beat up in a pile around yeah. him. Yeah. 
And Reed Richards is there insulting Bruce Banner repeatedly. Oh, wow. And eventually Banner's like, you motherfucker, you're just getting me angry so I can keep this mountain range up here, aren't yeah, you? Yeah, yeah. But that was long enough for uh, Iron Man, and this is, uh, it's no longer Tony Stark. He's been replaced, but nobody knows this yet. Yeah. And, he, and so he's not the scientist that Tony Stark was, but someone helps him figure it out, and he blows a hole in the mountain range, and they all get out. And nice. it, it, but that cover is the Hulk with a mountain on top of him. And there's a headline that says something like, uh, you know, the, uh, the only thing standing between Earth's mightiest heroes and 680 tons of, <laughs> of, of mountain range is Bruce Banner. Yeah. How long can he last? And something like that. And the inside of that cover was a one-page ad for The Adventures of Buckaroo Banzai, which was my favorite <laughs> movie in the world. Yeah. I cut that fucking cover off that f comic book to hang on my wall so I could yeah. have a, a Buckaroo Banzai poster. Nice. So, you know, comic books meant something to me, mm -hmm. but I think movies meant a little more. That's fair. So, okay. uh, but yeah, Secret Wars, like that a lot. Um, I'm still working on other storylines. I know there's got to be more out yeah. there, but I, I just if don't have If you don't have, have a enough. time, that's fine. Yeah, uh, I was very intrigued by the Legion storyline mm -hmm. in the New Mutants because that's that's about right where uh, Sienkiewicz had left the series and he was yeah. just doing covers. And the introduction of that uh, of Charles Xavier's son because that's I don't know yeah. if he is Xavier's he son is. in the series. Yes. He, okay, because it just never got alluded to yet. In, in yeah, where you, I've been at. without getting Xavier has a decent role in the third season also oh dope that yeah. makes me excited yeah but um yeah that so they they introduced the character in the new mutants as being xavier's son in and i think that might be one of the annual specials because mm -hmm. it's a big fatty and it's still yeah. in my collection which is a beat up milk crate that I've been hauling around since I was 14. So I've got <laughs> like 200 comic books in there. Those Ariox, uh, or I, I, I'm not even sure that's how you say his name anymore. The Lord of Atlantis, my uh, mm. new mutants are all in there. Um, just all these comics I had as a kid, but I was so transient. They just traveled from one storage to another to the point where I don't know how readable they even are anymore. Yeah. And I haven't looked at my son paged through them like 12 years ago, <laughs> but the, the important ones are on the shelf right over there and I'm going to pull them out as soon as we, uh, hit stop on this recorder. So sounds good. I got something to do this afternoon. Thank you so much. This yeah. has been such a pleasure. You've reintroduced me to a medium. I just haven't spent enough time with and in such a fantastic way. This yeah. this was a great story. And I uh, can't wait to talk to you a little bit more about it once we get off the line here. Yeah. Uh, really quickly. Um, so normally I ask about what, yeah, you know, comedy, if you want to get into that at all, it's fine. If not, it's fine. Um, um, I know we've been going super long. So yeah. uh, I am a local uh, producer and host of comedy shows and festivals in yeah. Portland. Do you have any what you want to plug? Sure. Ways people getting um, um, you, you can uh, check us out. I have a website, ffthashow.com. Um, I am the host of Forgotten Fantasies. It is a found footage uh, and kind of lost memory 
This is your life mm. uh, uh, live comedy show here in Portland, Oregon. We normally uh, are at Kelly's Olympian. We bring guests on to revisit their pop culture memories of their youth that they have never gone back to revisit as an adult. Nice. So we try to find the craziest and weirdest clips of said pop culture memory, riff it live on stage with them, mm. and then we bookend it with uh, found footage and old vintage uh, commercials that we think are like just really funny or have uh, <laughs> a lot of un unintended sexual innuendo. Or if nice. they're from the 70s, it's probably intended because people just didn't care back then. Um, <laughs> we also host VHS Vengeance, a live mm -hmm. movie riffing uh, comedy show like Mystery Science Theater. But again, if you go to ffthashow.com, you can find all of this stuff. And uh, this Halloween, keep an eye out for the Dark Arts Festival. We have dark folk music, dark comedy, and dark artworks for an entire weekend at Kelly's Olympian Halloween weekend every year. Awesome. Uh, for me, the normal plugs, you can find this podcast on Instagram at uh, Obsessive Comic Disorder. Uh, Nearly Functional Comedy is my personal comedy page about myself. If I do any shows in the future or just have a weird, funny idea thought, I'll post it on there. Um, and then Nearly Functional Comics, if you want to see the comics we were talking about earlier, that's where you can find those. Uh, thanks for thanks for coming on again, Michael. This is and thanks for coming over again. Absolutely. Uh, thanks for listening, everyone. And uh, check out Monsters by Barry Windsor Smith. It's a hell of a read. It's pretty emotional. It's I was telling uh, I was telling you earlier. It's like it wasn't just he it's not heavy just because the pages are thick. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> it, it feels like a big tome. Oh yeah. But I legitimately read it in three days. Yeah, it's I, great. I mean it. It took me three months to get those three days in. But if you were to break down the time frame, it, I mean, really, uh, I, I was I was on page forty-one yesterday, I think. Oh wow! And and I finished it as I said when you got here today. That's that's cool. And I, I think I put in like three hours last night, and I didn't even realize it. It, it suddenly I was like, yeah, "Oh fuck, it's in. one a.m. and I can't appreciate the art. My eyes are too tired. I gotta stop." <laughs> It's it's engrossing. It grabs you and just drags you along. And I wasn't reading it in the uh, paper form as you are. I was reading yeah. it on my Amazon Fire. Mm. So I couldn't even see how much I was putting down. I, I thought yeah. I had so much further to go. I mean, this, this is a story that it, it just, uh, once it gets rolling, it's a snowball. And yeah. it carries you along. Awesome. Cool. All right, everybody. Thanks, my man. Have a good day. Thanks, everyone.